Good evening, world. This is the podcast, Assassin Frass, and your host, S. Laura Cattell. Welcome back. We are going over the Miracle Club from Mitch Horowitz. And we have recently, in the last few, last few podcasts, we have started Chapter 4, Methods in Mind Power. And he mentions four specific ones. Affirming, visualizing, meditating, and praying. We went through affirming, both spoken and written, and why those two um, have different approaches and different levels of import onto the subconscious and the mind powers at large. And we've made it to visualizing. And instead of getting into tactics and techniques and all that, and obviously we've gone over visualizing before, but in this he goes to a set of um, or a body of work I should say that's different than others have used in the past so he made it a point to put in the work by Duke University researcher J.B. Rhine 1895 to 1980 and specifically his work in the 1930s where he coined the term ESP or extrasensory perception based on his body of work where he or is it me? he conducted tens of thousands of trials in which subjects attempted to guess which card was overturned on a five suit deck and he did tens and tens of thousands of these and his controls and or his protocols for making sure that it was all up on the up and up were so clean and so methodical and so precise that other researchers who couldn't really bear the thought of this type of research couldn't doubt his results. The results showed that certain individuals consistently and persistently scored higher than average hits. So it's not just a one-off, it's not a rare occurrence, it's not an um, uh, anomaly. He detected persistently some people could do this at a higher rate. So much so that, where is it? Ah, so much so that mathematician Warren Weaver, who was the former president of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, when he examined Ryan's mythology and he remarked in 1960, so 30 years after he started his work, I find this whole field intellectually a very painful one, and I find it painful essentially for the following reasons. I cannot reject the evidence, and I cannot accept the conclusions. Which means he couldn't really argue with the methods that he used, because those are the methods that he also uses to do, or basically any clinical research, right? His controls were so precise, he couldn't argue with how he conducted his research. But personally, he couldn't accept the results. So he finds himself in a quandary. He knows that it was conducted diligently, precisely, and methodically. But it blows his mind the results that were presented. And he can't really accept that that's the conclusion. He's not willing to accept that that could be a possibility. More contemporary researchers like Dean Radin of the Institute of Noetic Sciences 
continue Ryan's research today. So we went over a much different, all right, usually when you're talking about visualization, they go back over the studies they did more recently of Olympic athletes and having them um, run through whatever um, event that it was in their heads and they had their bodies all hooked up to all sorts of sensors and nodes and whatnot to discover that the muscles fired in the exact same pattern and the exact same way and at the exact same time when they were running the event in their head. And it was discovered then that when you, uh, excuse me, the mind cannot differentiate between an imagined or a real event. It can't. If you imagine it, your mind thinks it's real. Which, more rather morbidly, is also why you can die in your sleep when you get into a car crash or a gunfight or any of those other type of violent dreams and or nightmares, as you would like to call them, um, because the mind can't differentiate. So it actually thinks you got in that car accident. It actually thinks you got shot. You do have the potential to die, and it has happened. And we left off yesterday at the end of his explanation of the evidence which suggests that there is actually something there. And so that's where we left off at. Um, some argue that they are happy accidents. Some argue that they're synchronicities. Um, apparently Ryan hypothesized between mental picture, mood, and extra physical mentality. So interesting stuff. We went over it yesterday. I'm not going to go over it too much more here. Um, so yeah, all right. So that's some uh, some interesting information. Go back and listen to yesterday's podcast if you want more in depth on the studies and whatnot. And we will get into or go farther into visualization or how he pr puts forth visualization today. So before I go any farther, my shout out to the restaurant industry, all my guys and gals out there in Foodland. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you've done. And thank you for all you continue to go through. And I really hope that there is a restaurant industry on the other side of all of this. Um, it's not looking too good right now. And that saddens me greatly. A lot of restaurants have had to close because they just can't get anybody to come into work. I'll warn you right now, that's a trap. That's a trap just as soon as you get used to being paid enough to live comfortably at home, alright, what happens when they, you know, oh, well, you deter they determine, oh, you don't need, really need all that much to live on. Alright, you can't save for your future like that. Why would you be content for scraps from the government when you could be out there making so much more? Don't let them turn you into a slave. Because if you stop working and you're just content to collect that government paycheck, that's exactly what you are. Because you are now dependent on the government for your income, for your food, for your housing, for all of your pleasure activities. If you want to go to the movies, if you want to, you know, hey, I think I'd like to have steak tonight instead of just the normal stuff. Oh, no, you can't afford it. Government says you don't need that. Remember all those arguments a few years ago? Why are food stamp recipients getting steak and shrimp and I can't afford any of this stuff? 
Now you're putting yourself exactly in that shoes, in those shoes. Don't do it. For the love of all things holy, don't do it. It's enticing. That's the, that's the entire reason. That's like the drug dealer offering you a piece of candy. Come on, it's just some candy. I'll be nice to you. Right up until the point they get you hooked. And then they're not nice anymore. Are they? So, um... God, it's just really rough out there right now. So, for all of my restaurant peeps that are maybe feeling super stressed and overwhelmed and you can't take it anymore, I'm begging you, please don't do something you can't take back. Because you deserve better than that. And I promise you better's out there. I don't know when and I don't know where, but I do know that this planet, this human species, has gone through so much trial and tribulation up to this date to know that the only constant in the universe is change. It might not be quick, it might not be pretty, but I promise you if you persevere, you'll come out stronger, more resilient, and better positioned. Don't quit. Don't quit. Alright. Alright. So, where we left off. Mental visualizations require consistency and feeling. They are not always easy to sustain. Ooh, here's an interesting cultural take. In the first season of The Sopranos, the character Christopher tells his girlfriend, You know how I use the technique of positive visualization? She responds, I know you talk about it. In 2016, a woman wrote me about difficulties she was experiencing in maintaining a mind picture of a desired reality, and of feeling her way into it as Neville Goddard described, or prescribed. The one problem I've been having in using Neville's method, she wrote, is the feeling part. I can picture a scene in my mind, and a lot of times vividly, but the corresponding emotion isn't there. And that's when the fear of not ever having changes appear in my life grips me. Any suggestion? Neville's method is to picture a small, satisfying scene that implies achievement of your aim. Or, as we've gone over with Mr. Dooley's work, visualizing the end result. And how happy that makes you feel, how relieved, how grateful, yada yada, so forth. You are to bask in the emotions of your goal having been reached as you rerun this small scene in your mind. Again, just worded differently. That's word for word almost exactly the same information that Mr. Dooley put out. Okay? Really get into the emotion. I mean, he even got went there um, and said get physical. Like, if you feel like you need to jump up and down, get your hands moving in the air, Yahoo! Whatever. Do it. Whatever gets you emotionally involved in the images you're seeing in your mind. Okay, you have to have that emotional connection or it just doesn't juice it enough to work. So, I, his response. I replied to the correspondent, I recommend using Neville's visualization methods when your emotions are already on your side i.e. when you're already in a vital, joyous, 
or at least contented, mood. Don't struggle with it when you feel anxious. Even if it means walking away for a few hours or a few days, you can always come back. Let your mood match the wished for thing. Now I'm going to stop right there because, oh, actually I'm going to pause right there. I'm not going to stop right there. How often are, is our mood matching that wished for thing? It doesn't. That's the entire, the, entirely the point of having the wished for thing is it doesn't match it, right? So we've already gone over, and this is just a case in point. So this is a specific problem and he's trying to remedy it. I would argue this. I would argue to go and try and recall as vividly as possible a moment in time when you were feeling the emotion that you are currently trying to conjure. Alright? And I can't state this enough to get lost in the memory so that the feeling comes up with the uh, with the remembered images attached okay when you have a memory of something the uh, feelings that you had when you were doing it are attached to the memory so if you're having problems feeling I'm gonna add in here find the memory first and then when you have the feelings inside then do your visualization while you're still writing that emotional level Okay, so there's one way you can do that. But waiting for yourself to be in the mood, you're going to just kill your consistency. So I don't agree with that one at all. I, I think that would just kill your consistency and then you're just going to be spotty all over again, which is just going to make you feel even more frustrated. Alright, back to the book. Pitting our minds against our moods is... As a great teacher once once observed, is like pitting steam power against nuclear power. The emotions win every time. Better to use emotions rather than try to counter them. Allow yourself to stop and wait, however long it takes, for when you can ride your emotional wave, so to speak, rather than attempt to reverse it. Yeah, I'm going to call bullshit on that one also. You're not reversing it. You're replacing it. And you can actually absolutely do that on a dime. You're not reversing anything. You're simply replacing. And you absolutely can do that. You've done that many times. You might not realize you've done so, but you've done so. Um, but he is correct. You better to use emotions than to try and counter them. My feeling here is that when she visualizes, she's afraid that it's not going to be enough. And because she already doesn't believe that it's going to work, once she vis visualizes or tries to visualize, the fear comes up. So instead of it being a positive event, it turns into a negative one. And because she's done that so many times now, it's cemented in. When you visualize, she's expecting to feel afraid. So what he's talking about here, if I'm surmising, that 
not make sure you're not visualizing in that emotional state rather wait until that emotional state has passed and you're in a better one I would argue that you will be waiting for the rest of your life and your consistency will be so spotty that you won't get anything at all so whatever feels best for you but those are my thoughts on it my correspondent wrote back to me sometimes I just want to see the results so much and having real needs often brings on that desperate feeling which always seems like it negates my attempts at relaxing into the state you are correct lady that's exactly what it's doing or sorry it sounds like a woman oh excuse me um, no she's absolutely correct she's desperate she puts it in there it often brings on that desperate feeling she's visualizing that which she doesn't have and instead of visualizing it as an end result she's using it as a reminder of the thing that she doesn't have she's not attaching the proper emotional tint to her visualization and there's where therein lies the problem she's too desperate she's too attached to it and his response is I experienced that very frustration myself I told her the wanting is so strong it breeds impatience but we needn't be afraid to let go of a cherished goal for a short time or allow ourselves to casually relax without aim or focus sometimes through watching a movie or taking a night out or some other diversion I actually think that when we truly want something we never forget it it's always there hovering in the background it's fine to not focus too closely on visualization until the moment arrives when our mood is in the proper state the desire will be there we never lose any ground that I'm also gonna call BS on you absolutely lose ground you lose the momentum that you had built up or might have had however if you're doing it wrong or well, I say not wrong but if you're visualizing conjures emotions of desperation wanting need lack fear then yeah you're doing it wrong you're not going to get what it is that you're visualizing you're just pushing it farther and farther away I'm absolutely a believer in consistency okay and if you're gonna visualize it can't be spotty alright it's the consistency that brings the manifestation about because you're tricking your mind into believing that the thing you're visualizing is your natural state and what you're currently experiencing the lack the fear and all the other things is your non-natural state and what does the mind cannot tolerate a discrepancy between what it expects to find and what it actually finds in reality that's where we get manifestation from okay so if you're not consistent with your visualizations and making sure that they're emotionally charged properly you lose that momentum and your subconscious calls bullshit and then it turns into a wish and a dream rather than an, uh, an effective aid in getting your manifestation to you so I'm gonna call BS on that one just from experience but I will agree that you have to be in the right emotional state alright trying to manifest a positive future while feeling anxious that you don't have the future yet 
just means it will constantly and consistently be in the future. You're pushing it farther and farther away. It absolutely has no, nothing to do with wanting something inside. Obviously the desire will still be there. But to manifest that desire into reality, you have to consistently believe that that's, how do I want to put this? That's your inevitable destination. All right. I compare it to a five-year-old waiting on Christmas. Okay. You're five. You're waiting on presents. All right, let's just paint a picture here. You're five. You're waiting on presents. You know Santa Claus is coming. It's December. You start counting down the days. You know Christmas is going to be on December 25th. What did Santa bring me this time? What are the presents going to look like? What's the tree going to look like? Am I going to see? What am I going to see there? Am I going to see all these extra things? What did, what did Santa give me? Am I going to get what I wanted? What is the surprises? What did I get for Christmas? Your expectant anticipation is the entire month long. Hell, you probably start in November, but as soon as December hits, you get excited. Right? Alright. That's where you need to get to. Is that excited anticipation. And that inevitability. That your end result, your desired end result is inevitable. It doesn't matter what comes in your path. It doesn't matter what happens. If you're a five-year-old kid waiting on Christmas, it doesn't matter if it's snow, sleet, rain, hail, shine, storm, hurricane, tornado. It doesn't matter. December 25th is still December 25th. Right? It's inevitable. And you have to believe in that inevitability. All right. So I, but I do call bullshit where he says we never lose any ground. No, you absolutely lose ground. And I will argue that with him if I ever see it in person. All right. So sometimes a state of ease and hopeful expectancy is itself sufficient to bring us what we want or to help. In October, 2016, I was on a month long sabbatical for my publishing job and was completing some writing projects. I reached a moment where I had concluded three important projects and I felt a sense of interval. I wasn't sure what to begin next. I needed a push in the right direction. It occurred to me, I'm not sure precisely from where, that a large mainstream news organization would reach out to me and ask me to write a piece. That is exactly what occurred. That same day, I received a call from an editor who told me that his colleague had been trying in vain to reach me. There was a minor email glitch. He put me in touch with the editor, who had for me what I considered, frankly, a dream assignment. My expectant mood and the visual verity of the event were already in place. It happened quickly, within hours. Coincidence? Precognition? Mental attraction? I have no idea. My colleague, Dean Radin, who has done remarkable experiments in precognition, which we'll examine, would probably suggest that this was an example of that phenomenon, made more likely by my being keyed up by a strong emotional association with the assignment. 
J.B. Rye noted the importance of a subject feeling an emotional pitch during an experiment. One could consider, as I do later, that such episodes also suggest a non-linearity of events, and that what transpires across a horizon of time does not run on an orderly track, but rather we select experiences from, an, from among innumerable possibilities. Okay, so let's back that up real quick. And that being that Mr. Dooley's book was literally called Infinite Possibilities. What does he say here? So, non-linearity of events. Not a linear timeline. One event leads to another event, leads to another event, leads to another event. Okay, so you were born on this date, you die on this date. That is a linear timeline going from start to finish through a, a series of events that you went through in your life. That is a linear timeline. Okay. He is suggesting that that's actually not true. That what transpires across the horizon of time, or on the other side of what we understand as time, it does not run on an orderly track, but rather we select experiences from all the possible ones that are out there. I just wanted to make sure I put that in there real quick. And I would go and conclude differently. When he says, it occurred to me that a large mainstream news organization would reach out and ask me to write a piece. Not only did they ask him to write a piece, it was what he considered a dream assignment. So out of the blue, out of nowhere, he just finished three projects and he was waiting to start his next one. And his first immediate thought was, you know, I think I need some inspiration on where to go. And he just followed his gut. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, came his dream assignment. Now, I'm not sure what you would call that, but I would call that a manifestation, although he's not sure how he did it. But I would not necessarily call that precognition, although it does run along the same lines. You could call it precognition, but I think it runs a little deeper than that. Maybe he's precognizant of the manifestation that's occurring? Or perhaps... How do I want to extrapolate this? Perhaps he already had his dream assignment in mind and he was really hoping that somebody would send it his way? Or maybe he got done with those three assignments like, man, I'd really love to do this. You know what I mean? Lots of possibilities. In any case, I'm not sure that I can repeat that experience, or anything like it. Mental sensitivities can no more be summoned than feelings of love. This is why sensationalistic tests, like magician James Randi's now defunct million dollar challenge to psychics in Vegas, rarely work. Because a phenomenon occurs, doesn't mean it can come into being at any time. Actually, that's not quite true. Just because a phenomenon occurs does not equate that it could translate into a skill that other people can learn to manipulate at will. Just because it hasn't been shown before, and you don't necessarily can correlate the two. I can say this much. Whatever the cause behind what happened, even if coincidental, it didn't feel ordinary. It was charged with emotion, portent, portent, and, by my reckoning, considerable unlikelihood. 
especially in the proximity of events. But I really do not know, and the point is not to reach conclusions. I'm not offering scientific steps or doctrine, but meaningful experiences and articles of experimentation. The whole point is to experiment in the face of sometime impediments or inconsistencies. When dealing with ethical and spiritual philosophies, our only empiricism is of the inner variety. If evidence appears in outer events that comport with our mindscape. How do I put this? Alright, so let's, that's a lot of science-y speak. Let me see if I can translate it for you. So, he doesn't believe he can repeat what he did. He feels it was a one-off. But he does recall that it was charged with emo emotion, portent, and considerable unlikelihood. It was really unlikely that that confluence of events was to happen. Alright? That's like a one in a million shot. But he's also not saying, he's not saying how to get to that point because he doesn't know how to do it himself. He's not going to offer that. Um, and he reiterates that the whole point is to experiment in the face of inconsistencies, in the face of impediment. How do I put impediment in another word? Um, roadblocks. Impediment is another, is a very fancy term for a roadblock. Something that comes in your way, an obstacle. There we go. Alright. However, when you're dealing with spiritual philosophies, the only empiricism is of the inner variety. Nobody can see into your mind yet and know what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're attaching meaning to things. So any outward expression of your inward changes is only noticed by you. Not anyone else until you actually start changing yourself to a point where everybody else starts to notice. Okay? That's what he means when he says evidence appears in outer events that comport with our mindscape. Alright, you fix the internal first and the outer events change to match your new perspective. No, we'll take that up yesterday. So, we'll finish off visualization tomorrow. Which, I'll be honest, he didn't really go over a hell of a lot of visualizing except for a couple of parts in here. Basically, he made his case for visualizing. But not much else. So, we're going to go over... Um, I'll go up with this. A story that he got from his colleague, Dean Radin. And it's a letter he included here from 2009. And we will go over that tomorrow. And that's what we'll come back to. So, I don't know. I think I like Mr. Dooley's explanation of visualization a hell of a lot better because it actually gives you practical guide on how to visualize, what to visualize, how to involve and imbue what you have or your visualization with emotion, the proper emotion, why you need emotion, that kind of thing. So really, you need both, because if you were just to read this book alone, you wouldn't... 
you could go back and do secondary research and look up Neville Goddard's method, methods for visualizing, which he puts it in a, a different word spin than Mr. Dooley does and Rhonda Byrne does and Lisa Nickel does. Um, it's the same information, though. Find an end result. Visualize it in your head as having the end result. You already have the end result. You're already there, or as Mr. Goddard puts it, a little picture that you repeat in your mind uh, that has a positive ending to it. I think that's how we put it. It's the same thing. Your end result, and you put emotion to it as actually having received it. So you got to get yourself in that emotional state first. Okay, because otherwise, and Mr. Dooley was also keen to point this out, otherwise it ends up turning into wishes. And if you just keep visualizing the same thing, and your current situation isn't starting to reflect that, you start getting um, unhappy, and it just becomes a reminder of what you don't have instead of a goal that you are approaching. So try and remember my analogy of being that kid before Christmas, right? It turns December, you know December 25th is going to happen, you know that that means Christmas is on its way. Be as excited as anticipatory, as expectant, alright? It doesn't matter what happens in school, it doesn't matter if the bully bullied you, it doesn't matter if the teacher gave you an F, it doesn't matter any of that stuff because you know Christmas is coming and there's nothing stopping it. And as a five-year-old kid, you're not worried about politics, the weather, culture, religion, dad lost his job, mom lost her job, you might foreclose on the house, you don't know. When you're five years old, you don't know those things. You're not even aware of those things. You just know Christmas is coming. Okay? So. We'll come back tomorrow and finish off visualization, then we'll go segue into praying. So go ahead and get yourself a little wiggle and do a little stretch, and we will do our two-minute brain break. And I'm going to get myself a little bit here. Close your eyes. And let's do a nice, slow, deep breath in. Take another nice, slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. 
understand just that your awareness settle into the space. And I want you to remember, conjure if you can, last time you were truly happy. If you can't remember the last time, I want you to see what it could feel like. Try and evoke in yourself what happy feels like. What activity would make you feel happiest? What person, place, or thing? Your favorite celebrity giving you a hug? A homemade meal from your mom? A nudge from your dad? Your favorite best friend throwing you a surprise party? Really get creative. What does that look like? Open your eyes. Alrighty. Never ever forget that you have the ability at will to conjure whatever emotion you want to be feeling. Alright, I will remind you very quickly that it was one of the key tenets of Bushido, the ancient samurai code is that the first battle ever waged is the battle for your mind. If you allow yourself to become off-balanced or triggered, as is the current cultural term, by other people's actions, emotions, or words, you have lost the first battle for your mind. You are the master of your emotions, or you will let you the emo your emotions be the master of you. Which do you think grants you greater success in life? Okay. So, we'll come back tomorrow and finish off visualization. Um, thankfully, most of my listeners already know probably by now how to visualize, but this is a good contextual piece, not necessarily a practical application piece, but a good contextual piece 
on visualization and more, you know, a different different direction of why it works. So now we have more body of information. We don't just have the the Olympic athlete studies. We also have this bad boy right here, J.B. Ryan, who did tens of thousands of studies using a very simple procedure just so that he could have massive amounts of data to collate and basically just express through, right? It wasn't just a one-off. It wasn't just a spin. It wasn't just a one-time thing or a rare thing. He could consistently prove it because he did so many experiments. He had a larger volume of body or larger volume of work to draw from. Not just one or two or 12, but tens of thousands of the same experiment with really rigid controls. A lot of people nowadays aren't willing to put forth that kind of well, research, um, time, expertise, patience. Too many people want things done quickly. So, alright. Have you guys, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you for participating. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. This is the podcast, Sassafras. Good night. <laughs>